Welcome to the Divorce Podcast, where we explore all aspects of ending relationships, separation, and parenting apart. If your marriage or partnership has ended, or you have friends and family who are separating, this podcast is for you. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor, divorce specialist, and co-founder of Amicable, the online legal service for separating couples. In each episode, we look at relationships and separation from different angles, including the emotional, legal, and social. I'm joined by experts and special guests who share their own unique stories, experience, and tips with the goal of helping people end relationships in a kinder and better way. In this episode, I was joined by comedian, actor, and writer, Jessica Foster Q. She's appeared on Live at the Apollo, QI, and Channel 4's Travelman. She's the co-writer and co-star of the forthcoming Sky special Real Friends and her series Sturdy Girl Club is out now on BBC Sounds. As an actor, she starred in Motherland and Cuckoo, both on BBC Netflix and also in a new feature film called Scrapper. She hosts her own podcast, Hoovering, all about eating and Jess is a regular co-host of the behemoth podcast The Guilty Feminist. This episode is all about Jess's separation from her long-term partner. We explore her wonderful co-parenting journey, her sexual awakening in her 30s, and her subsequent relationships. We also look at how Jess's parents' divorce impacted her own attitude towards her separation. This episode and Jess's story gives a real example of how you can end a relationship in a kinder and better way, prioritizing the emotional well-being of everybody involved. If you loved this episode, then please subscribe and rate us on your preferred listening platform. Jess, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute privilege. And I'm going to say right at the outset, I'm a massive Motherland fan. So I'm going to be a little bit starstruck throughout. So apologies to anybody listening, but this is a real treat. And I'm really interested to hear about your story of your separation and where you are now. So let's start, if that's all right, by talking a little bit about your life prior to separating. So tell us a little bit about your relationship uh, with your ex and how you came to have a child and then to go your separate ways. Yeah. Well, I met him when I was 19 and was fell head over heels. I don't think he was particularly fussed about having a relationship at that point, but um, over the years I wore him down. And um, to be honest, it was a lot of off and on for a long time. And then it was very much on, I think, gosh, I can't remember the exact whens in terms of years, but years later we were, we were an item. We broke up then, I think because I... I started doing stand-up in my mid-twenties. And um, bizarrely, that also felt like, oh, it almost felt like cheating. I fell in love with something else and I fell in love with stand-up. And it was very much an accident. I started stand-up with quite ignoble aims of actually getting more acting work. But did you talk about your relationship in your stand-up? Was that the kind of stand-up you were doing? Was that no. part of the issue or was it just, it was just a totally different focus at that point? You focus on your career and wanting to move on and that kind of stuff. Also, the relationship wasn't good at that point. I think, I don't know if, if he would agree with that, but at that point we had, um, you know, divergent stuff. There were He had, I would say, tr- lots of issues around trust and Oh, I don't know. He had opinions on things I didn't feel it was his place to have opinions on in terms of me and my life. And actually, I was having this kind of awakening and sort of 
growing up, a wave of growing up, I think. And I suddenly went, oh, I don't want to be, I don't. There was stuff that was socially difficult with us. I loved going out. He didn't, you know, that kind of very different people. It'd always been very different people. And at that point I was like, no, I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to do this. And we broke up and, and I had another really serious relationship after that, that I thought was the one, but he left me and I was devastated. And this, so then some years on, my son's dad and I reconnected and it felt healing. It felt like we had both grown up a decade in those not quite 10 years of time. We really felt, I felt like I cared a lot less about what other people thought of my partner or my relationship. He represented for me at that point, me being ready to really be loved and to, to really receive love and wasn't, I'd stopped looking for someone you know, I suppose challenging or, you know, I really felt like I deserved to be with someone who really cared about me. And we had really, really good relationship, much better communication, much better boundaries, much better support of each other. He was incredibly supportive of my career through, I would say, the hardest years of my career. There were the early years, your expectations are quite low and it's all tumultuous. And I was in my twenties and it's so fun and you know, it's a long game. And then there come these really tricky years with with comedy anyway with stand up where and acting i suppose but where you really realize oh no this is a long long game yeah and it's and gonna I've be got a to slog. start to make yeah yeah exactly. and like i'm not gonna make the money um you know you watch your friends you're at university with suddenly start searing ahead of you in terms of income security <laughs> and and what feels like achievements and that's when you really it's you, you know a lot of people stop or give up and move on to something a bit more secure or rewarding. And he really backed me and really, he was an absolutely brilliant partner. We had a great time. And I always, I always knew I wanted kids. I don't know if that's a growing up in the countryside thing, me and all my friends. I remember getting to university. I grew up in Dorset. I remember getting to London, you know, at 18, 19 for university and meeting people and saying to people, yeah, you know, I'd like to have kids probably around 30. And my friends would be like, what? <laughs> Like, why would you even think about that? At the moment, I was like, oh, and I really wanted kids. He did want kids, but he wanted to wait. He wanted he he liked taking long time over things. I like rushing things. We met in the middle, and we compromised. We waited a few years. It all happened a lot quicker than we expected it to. And I still to this day say that having our son is the best thing we've ever done together. We do parent him as a team well we're, we're a good team when it comes to that task I think it's so interesting isn't it because when a relationship ends and breaks down we're sort of so culturally primed to see it as a failure but just listening to you then in terms of that relationship the, you know having a son together that's not a failure in any shape of the word is it no, it's a successful so. relationship that ran its course and as we're going to come on to this that came to its end but it just, I think it's so fascinating how we're, because we go through a breakup, we have to then denigrate what was, and clearly you've just explained it so beautifully, was a lovely relationship that good things happened in and saw you through a big chunk of your adult life. Yeah. Yeah, big chunk of it. I mean, oh, I mean, you know, a huge chunk of my life. I can't imagine having never met him. You know, I've got absolutely zero regrets. He He's a lovely man. He's a gentle man. He's kind. He's a fantastic dad. And, you know, there is still a lot. I still 
you know, I still love him, I still care about him. There was a distancing. And I think what happened, there was a honeymoon period when our son was very tiny. But then actually, I, I think we worked very well as a team, but this but we weren't, we were increasingly working less well when we were physically together <laughs> and their physical distance grew between us um, in terms of intimacy and stuff. But like, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily was the, that wasn't the crux of it. It was an emotional distance. And um, it wasn't until I think actually we had broken up that I realised there was a real cavern there for me. And I think emotionally had moved really far out of, actually an, a romantic kind of love connection there and I think we functioned so well for as well as we did after our son was born because we were ships in the night you know he worked in the day I worked in the night we both supported each other on that front so you had the mechanics of it down but there was just nothing behind the logistics and the mechanics of yeah it worked really well but but we were barely together and I don't know whether to go straight into the sort of descent of it but from my point of view we got on less well together. We weren't being, I don't think, even good friends to each other. And there was just so much frustration and beyond the level of, I think, a standard amount of finding the person you cohabit with annoying. I think that's just human nature. And I think I did a lot of reading around it and reading around sort of the, well, not tons, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't the only thing I was reading. I was, um, But I remember learning, I remember being quite overwhelmed by the discovery that and I can't believe I did, never knew this, but that marriage used to be, and actually I should point out him and I were never married. We were just, mm, yeah, you together. Know, mm -hmm. common law, whatever it's called. But um, that the idea of marriage used to be this sort of political, financial thing that you did to bond families, to pool wealth, kind of chattel sharing. And then we moved into, you know, as we, it's quite recent in history that we'd marry for love. And that actually... There is an incredible stress on romantic relationships to maintain all these different things over an incredible amount of time. And actually, I could just feel this distance. And I, I had a brilliant therapist. Not We didn't have relationship counselling, but I had an amazing therapist for me at the time because I, I felt like I was stagnating in my career, but we ended up obviously getting into all sorts. And I do remember touching on stuff to do with the relationship and I remember they would say, would you watch television together? Would you hold hands or would you, you know, I'm not talking about sexy business. I'm just yeah, like just proximity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you be like, you know, would you link arms while you watch telly or put your arm around each other? And I was like, no. And that's bizarre because at the beginning it was so, it was a really cuddly relationship. And I do remember, and I remember trying to sort of hold hands watching telly and thinking, oh, what am I what is this feels so weird. Like, you know, it just wasn't there. And then I did all the things. I remember all the things I would say to sort of help save, spend more time together, for example, without your son, you know, doing things just the two, really Date listen, all, all of that. Of that. Kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I remember mm -hmm. going on a couple of short breaks, just us and getting mm. on the worst mm. that we have ever got on. Because all your props are gone at that point, aren't yeah. they? All the things that you've actually come to rely on are yeah. taken away. And it's just the two of yours. It's useful because you're then staring at the relationship. Yeah, I'm staring at something, from my point of view, broken, you know. And there were several things that, and I think, and this is really brutal, but I think one of the things that made me another kind of wave of, oh, it is done, is somebody said, how would you feel if you imagined him with someone else? And I know this is a very kind of 
I don't know, trad, conservative, monogamous view of the world to even ask that question. But I guess I still am those things-ish. And I imagined him as someone else and didn't mind and thought, oh, crumbs, (laughs) that's done, this is done. Um, But it took me a long, long time to action that separation because I felt like there was a wall of impossibility around it. There were family circumstances, family, his family, ill health, and eventually losing a parent. There was financial reasons, but mainly obviously our son. I just thought I can't, I don't know. I mean, my parents separated when I was in my teens and, you know, I look back retrospectively and think they probably should have done that years before they did as well. I a get lot it now. Of children of divorced parents say that, don't mm. they? It's just why did they, you know, the fact that they stayed together for us feels so bad because they'd have been happier had they gone the separate ways. It's really interesting to hear you say that. And I think I, again, you know, in retrospect, I watched my parents stay together if technically together way too long I watched them do this big long elongated version of what I felt I I was at the beginning of the road of with my partner where eventually my parents were in separate rooms they worked in different cities they had secret new partners and as that went on over the years they didn't like each other it was a, a horrible find a bundle of lies and actually I genuinely look back god it's hard not to get emotional I look back at that childhood and think it was the lies and the dislike of each other it was living in that space with two people who didn't like each other who weren't there together who had no physical proximity with each other I remember seeing them hug once in my life my parents and it was a Christmas day drunk and I remember as a child getting in on the hug and then feeling guilty for decades that I'd wrecked the one hug I'd seen them have. And I didn't want my son growing up with that. And I thought, actually, it was that was another thing where I thought, I don't want my son to grow up with two people who don't behave like they like each other. I would rather he grew up with two separated parents who were happy. So that's just the message we try and help people with because so many people have that sort of misguided idea that you have to stay together for the kids and it'll be a disaster for the kids if you split up. But you you're just saying all the right things in terms of it's that's not how life pans out. What kids want are two happy parents and kids can and will understand and can thrive if they've got two happy separated parents. Uh, what they can't deal with is, you know, what you've sadly had to go through in your childhood it's much harder to cope with that as a kid and I feel like I do need to add though I'm only speaking to my experience you know my son's dad I think still right until the end he said I think we can fix it and I knew we I couldn't from my end but again that's interesting because you're describing this you're telling the story of the person who left your husband your partner sorry is on the the other end of it which is the partner who was left because you ultimately made the decision and I always think that's super interesting in you know when we deal with couples in the in the work that we do so we've usually not always because sometimes there's a mutual decision but usually we've got someone who's the lever and someone who's the left and they're in very different emotional spaces and the time scales for those emotional spaces are really interesting. You were just describing them, which I thought was fascinating, that it took you a long time to action that decision. So if you think about that, you've had many months, it sounds like even maybe years, of coming to that decision. And then all of a sudden, the person on the other end of that hears it in an instant. 
and they have to deal with all of that in the instant. So it's going to take those people a lot longer to emotionally catch up to where you are in that whole sort of change process, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there had been conversations and I think there was a, there had, I'd even had a conversation where I'd said, I think I might be irretrievably unhappy in this relationship. And, and, and he had said, no, no, I'm really confident we can fix this. And I've gone, okay, let's try. And it hadn't worked. And actually having what had felt like something utterly impossible to leave the relationship. And I think apparently this is quite normal as well. Like we signed a contract on a new house and that in that moment, signing a two year contract was the avalanche of emotion that was, oh no, I've got to go. It's not that I can't, it's that I must. Yeah, I must. I'm breaking under the weight of this. And I think... As you were saying there, with like two people having two different truths, you know, he will have a completely different take on this. And he is, if I ever talk about this, like on this podcast, I try really hard to express that this is only my side of this. But yeah, he has been the most classy, classy ex I could ever have ever, ever hoped for. And that is above and beyond the number one reason that's made this, from my point of view, a successful separation. And there are lots of things to take into account in terms of the actual physical leaving. And I think one of the main ones is if you are the person who's doing the leaving and the person who's left doesn't want to be left, I think it's really, really important to take responsibility and ownership for the hurt you are causing that person. And not to brush over it, not to expect them to be fine, even years on. And not to live with shame and guilt. It's not about, you know, you, if you, you, you need to be in unbearable pain all the time to do that. That's not what I mean. But you can acknowledge, you can acknowledge it and feel it. I still feel it. If I talk about it, I still feel emotional about the sadness I've caused him and the changes in his life that I have inflicted on him that he wouldn't want. And I with that in mind, try to compensate for that in how we live our lives now, you know, and make his life as close to one that he wants as possible. And that will morph and change gradually over the years as our lives go in different ways. But whilst we are connected by parenting a still young son, he's only seven, I think that's really important to do and to just like soak the situation in empathy and lack of ego. And I don't mean lack of self-respect and boundaries and those things. They are always going to come into it. They're always in play. But I don't, I, I look at so many friends, friends of friends, breakups, especially when there are kids are involved and think, I think it's such a cliche to say, well, put the kid first and it'll all work out all right. But actually it's really hard to do that. And it does involve leaving your ego and your emotions at the door. And he has had to do so much work on that front, as has my my fiancé, my partner, because that's three people with completely different emotional takes on this situation, all acting all the time in a seven-year-old's best interests and not their own. And that's and a I think big ask from me as well to those it's people. It's huge because you... You are not in control of it. You are reliant on the other people as much as you are reliant on yourself. So where, you know, lots of people can get to a place of personal harmony or personal acceptance, 
it all starts to come a little bit unstuck if they don't meet the desired response from the other people who are in the game. And you've not now just got your ex-partner, you've got a new partner in the game as well. So suddenly the dynamics are multiplied, aren't they? Because you've got your relationship with your current partner, your relationship with your ex-partner and their relationship together. They have a relationship between them as well. And so all of a sudden, you've got so many more relationships to be thinking about, trying to manage all in the best interests of this seven-year-old child, as you say. So it becomes incredibly complex. Just talk a little bit about, so you've got, we've got to the point where the relationship came to an end. How did you move from, you know, there is an element of being self-obsessed or involved at the point of a breakup. Of course there is for all of us. How do you move from that state where you're grieving and for the person who's left in particular, they are extremely raw. How do you move from that to a more co-parenting agenda? What do you remember about that time and that shift? Was it a shift or... Yeah, it was, um, it's really complicated logistically. <laughs> my life is anyway, because of the nature of my work, I'd like no two days look the same for me. So we were already used to a situation where our schedule revolved around my commitments, whereas his work life is a lot more reliable and his whole life is a lot more predictable. So I got brilliant advice from a friend, a recently divorced friend to have an online spreadsheet, like a colour coded childcare, but also kind of online calendar, everything in this spreadsheet. And that we still use now and rely on very heavily. And, you know, we've, we've learned a system of how, if we're going to update that to give a text as well, if anything within the next fortnight has gone, has changed in there. And just to com communicate loads. I think because we already had that system in place, it didn't feel as brutal as it might otherwise to put a system like that in place because we pretty much had to live like that even when we were still together. We stayed living in the same house until he had somewhere else sorted. Initially, he lived on the same road. <laughs> and that changed a few years later post-pandemic. But during the pandemic, I, I mean, I have to say that was incredible from my point of view to be able to walk we obviously were allowed a bubble with a co-parent and to be able to walk up and down that road with a then three-year-old, you know, three, four-year-old. I'd say emotionally, yeah, it was a roller coaster. I can't speak to his side of that. For me, I remember being surprised how quickly I was like interested in dating, but for fun and for fun only. And I think I have to say there was part of that was, and it wasn't anything to do with why. I ended the relationship, but in the years preceding that, I'd felt a burgeoning bisexuality, which I'd discussed with him. And we'd have really open, totally lovely conversations about that. I, but once I was single, and I did wait until I was single, I did think, well, I don't want to not explore that. Like, that's a new and overwhelming feeling. Like, so I was quite, I quite quickly was up for dating, but for fun. And then I was really knocked for six by how quickly I was having emotions in those new situations. I was like, oh, I had, I thought there would be a longer fun it, period. Yeah, yeah, I really did. I had no idea my heart was on yeah. my sleeve already. I know it's a very sciencey way of putting it, but there it was, you know, I was like, oh, 
I've, I can notice I'm old enough now to clock when that's happening. It feels a bit cyclical, but there are times where it feels like, and sometimes you fall in love with the person you're already with all over again, but it's, a, you know, it's chemical. I'm so, I'm a horrible grotty realist. I, there were massive waves of oxytocin, etc. Like I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm vulnerable to falling in love here and I am going to have to see how cautious to be. Like I need to, you know, t- Gosh, so that was uh, that was a thing. I think in terms of the emotions of the the early days, that I don't think there was any way to be prepared. There would be times where I felt fine. There'd be times where I'd on a long drive and I'd just cry for four hours about how much change was happening in my life. But it wasn't all sad crying. It wasn't like a heartbreak. It was. I think my mum uses a very romantic term for it, like a watershed. It felt like yeah, that. Okay, it yeah. felt like there was yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of. Uh, yeah, just maybe the enormity of the moment. Yeah, so it's, it's, it isn't it? It's kind of, of the acknowledgement that you are leaving some hopes and dreams and expectations of where you were, thought you were going. And if you're the person deciding, you can see that as an optimistic point, like you were just describing your chance to experiment with your sexuality. And so that feels very opportunistic all of a sudden, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. And then this, comes that guilt with that. doesn't mean to say, yeah, that yeah. you're still not going to feel some of those other emotions, which is I've left what I thought I wanted. I'm now looking at something quite different. I, like you say, I feel guilt about that. And it's just trying to process all of those emotions, which seem to almost randomly hit you on a daily basis or an hourly basis, don't they? It doesn't seem to be, I mean, there is a pattern, a broad pattern, but the point about the pattern is that you're going through a grief cycle and that it's not a linear process. There are things coming at you all of the different time. And it takes a while to sort of get into a bit more of a steady state, I guess. It took ages. And I, and there were lots of things that I just, you know, I didn't know to prepare for. There were things I cocked up, you know, I... Well, no, I Go on, give us cock. an example. Let's let's hear a big cock up. Um, <laughs> when we were moving into that house, my son loved sharing a bed with me. Still does, only seven. Any opportunity, if you're staying at a house where there aren't enough beds, you'd be like, we can go, you can do that together, you can cut a meal night. And I remember thinking, oh, well, that's it's fine that I haven't built his bed because he can sleep in with me for a couple of nights. And that I remember that, his behaviour, like taking an incredible turn and me being like, oh, and then thinking, oh God, of course he hasn't got, he hasn't got a room. He's gone to that. He hasn't got a room. Everything's changing in his life and he hasn't got a flipping bed and thinking, oh God, you know, and dropping everything and building the bed and it all was fine. But that felt like an enormous, like, what were you thinking? I don't know. The cock-ups like that. I also remember the first time I ever, and I was looking forward to it. I had like work to do that I was looking forward to doing. I can't remember what else, but I remember the first time I ever dropped him to his dad's, in his dad's flat and having a, basically a really fun day ahead of me and never been one of those people who was like, I mean, I was emotional. I took my first day at school, but like, you know, I love all of my life, including being a yes, parent. And exactly. I'm not someone who was sad about using childcare and not that my, not taking him to his dad's is using childcare, but equally, I'm not someone who's like emotional every time I say goodbye to my son. I like getting on with my life as well. The first time I dropped him at his dad's, at his dad's flat, that door closing and being like, <gasps> done you know really really and that was like the next two hours was a write-off just sobbing sobbing big waves I wasn't ready for and I don't think there's any way to be ready for and there's also no point particularly over analyzing it in advance and trying to I know maybe different people different ways but for me yeah I was gonna say I'm a planner so I like to, yeah. to go through the emotions in my head first yeah. but yeah I get what you mean well, it, it, it seems pro- a little I, bit self-defeating yeah. a lot yeah. of the time I'll be honest yeah but you're right we don't talk about it there aren't very many books about it we don't acknowledge there's a transition and a difference from being a parent to a co-parent it's a really under 
kind of developed area of kind of discourse in society. And I think those things therefore do catch you out a lot of the time, you know, that it is hard the first time you do the handover. It's tough and just getting used to living in a different way. There's a big difference between being happy not to see your kid because you're working and doing stuff versus you know that you can't because you've agreed with the other parent that this is their time. It's the enforced nature of it that sometimes catches you out. This isn't just I'm going off to work or I'm I'm going to spend time with my friends and I've agreed that someone else is looking after my child. This isn't your timetable, it's somebody else's timetable. And I think that's challenging. Yeah, there was lots of that. I think having been used to him and I knowing everything about where the other one was and what the other one was up to. I think, again, a few missteps from me, but, you know, times where we were co-parenting, for example, when I was at a festival for work, and I remember being like, well, what sort of time are you going to be back? And then be like, oh, and him having to say, you don't tell me anything about your life now. So it's sort of not okay to ask me that anymore. I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're interesting things, aren't they? That level of control you have. And sometimes people use the co-parenting as a way to stay involved in the other parent's life. And I think that can be really dangerous and quite tough um, because it it starts to feel quite uncomfortable, usually for one or other of the parents. But it is important, like you say, to actually separate. And what I love about the story, and I guess where you've created where you've done so well in creating an atmosphere where you can make mistakes and it not be a right this is serious we have to go and go to the court to get this sorted out or we need to get somebody else involved to sort this out so what you're what you're showing us is that the way that you've gone about the breakup has given you some capital it's given you a license both of you to make mistakes and it not be the end of the world, but to accept the mistakes you make and to expect this is not a perfect world. There is no perfect right way of co-parenting post-separation. You have to find your way, but you're able to find your way in an environment of tolerance. And that speaks volumes. I'm, I'm in such admiration. Oh, Thanks. I think um, um, I, I have to credit him. You know, he's been incredibly classy through, I think, much more painful emotional struggle with it than me and he's just stayed classy is the only word I can think of for it really and there have been moments where it's not been ideal you know there have been moments we have fallen out since in the years you know over over bits where we, we parent differently we've got different takes on education you know we've got those things I've learned on the hoof we've had a fallout during a parents evening that afterwards I've gone right we need to do a pre-brief and a debrief before parents evenings if you're going to go I had no idea he was going to bring up the things that you know and then similarly but then it was like well it's on me I've been too busy to have to even think to have a conversation before we're in a room together actually having a really important thing then his all his takes are valid as are mine we need to meet before lesson learned meet beforehand and, and present a united front in the room or at least say in the room in a calm way don't sit there being surprised and crying in front of a primary school teacher for Christ's sake Jess you know like I've made there have been loads of mistakes I also don't want to present it as having been entirely idyllic I think we're also and I think I th- compared to other separated co-parents I know a unique situation in the sense that there's never been a fight over who gets our son no one would have even dared neither of us would have dared say well I'm gonna I'll bring our son up good luck trying to see him never any of that and if anything you know I think my ex panicked when we broke up because 
up until that point, he'd done a lot of parenting while my work was really that made me quite absent at times for various patches of time. And actually one of his practical panics about me leaving was that he was going to end up, you know, living and having to do all the parenting. And I was like, right, well, let's address that straight off the bat. And I can promise you in a night, he likes clear, set, predictable, you know, rules and patterns. I like and, the sound of him. <laughs> and I remember being like, well, I promise. And I made made a pact in my mind that he will never, ever do more than 50% of the childcare in any given month. And actually, with the pandemic changing my work patterns and my priorities changing and being in a privileged position in terms of where my career's gone to be fussier, I've made, that's been all right. That's been pretty easy to do. And there have, if an exceptional thing came up that meant I go away for a month now, there would be a really serious conversation about maybe I'll take him with me. Like I've never let my ex do more than half and I probably do two thirds occasionally teetering on three quarters of the parenting. And he's very happy with that. And I think, and and actually as time's gone on, he's got more confident going, can I have this night, this night and this night? Oh, definitely not with our son. Cause I want to do, he doesn't even tell, have to tell me what he wants to do, but you know, all sorts of, you know, but you learn and you learn and there'll be times where you'd be like, Oh, Oh, I wish you could just get a sitter and arrange that yourself on your clock, you know, whereas, but, and so, and I think in, in that way, I have lots of, I have lots of takes on it. I think, um, I think generally in heterosexual relationships, um, there's still a lot of evidence. I'm working on something that's um, based on a a white paper at the moment that the woman in those relationships, the mum has the massive amount of the mental load. And I very much, I've still got that in our setup. I've got, you know, and it is exhausting. And I would say, but it's requires successful separation for us has required an extraordinary level of organization and flexibility. It is, it's just about being so much planning, so much organizing. And so what about the, a new relationship? Just talk to us a little bit about how that changed the dynamic then, because like you say, you kind of learn by trial and error. There's two of you in it. As you said as well, it's a heterosexual relationship, so there's some kind of norms and expectations that are going along with that. So then you drop in a new relationship and a relationship that's bringing another woman into the scene. So what was that like? Talk us through that. Fascinating and not how I'd have expected it. Again, sort of surprise for me. I had no idea I'd fall in love so quickly, but or let alone with someone who was so like up for getting into a relationship with someone who had a kid, you know, yeah, and getting to know yeah, that, that kid. Yeah, that always surprises me. Yeah, yeah. but um, I was like, you've got, no, you've got no idea what you've just signed up for. And people can't, I think, if they haven't parents yeah. it, they don't. But anyway, it's worked out all right. It's been, it's been ups and downs. There was a slightly rocky start and there had to be conversations about how it's also part of doing the best thing for our son to be friendly and civil and a cheerful front presented on that front and actually obviously it will have been the hardest at the beginning I think and but then it got to the point where because of that for example the very last the the Christmas that was cancelled very last minute because of Covid we ended up having Christmas the three of us adults and my son and because we were all wow that's kind of like a baptism of fire isn't it (laughs) yeah Because we were all so ready for oh, how hard on, that, that's that got, might be. That's got a sitcom written all over it. <laughs> but it went great. 
everyone was ready for it and it went great. And actually, because I think one of the most emotionally tangy parts of the separation was the fact that we would both of us have to spend every other Christmas day, not with our son. And that was like a, and then actually, because that works has worked out so well, we can now have a situation and this is like hats off to her and to him where we only have to go every third Christmas without spending Christmas day with our son, because we're going to do every third one, just us. It's kind of brilliant. That's kind of brilliant. But again, I think that's on them. That's on them for having been such big people to be able to do that. Well, it's on all of you, isn't it? Because it's about the relationships you're prepared to create and about being able to tolerate relationships, the nature of relationships changing and and letting go. You know, you've had to let go. Yeah. And I think there is an element of going, do you know what? It's a couple of hours on a day. If you think of it as lots of people have to spend Christmas Day with people they wouldn't choose to (laughs) spend time with. You know, everyone's got family members who aren't their favourite. And I think it's an element of that again. It's actually a couple of hours. It's actually one day. Yeah. There's going to be great food. And it doesn't have food. to be the 25th be of games. December, does no. it? You can just, you can change it up. So you can have two Christmases on different days. It's it's about being creative with it, isn't it? And and not slipping into the sort of predefined cultural norms. No, I think if you do can your rise own above version that. of things. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, fascinating. Well, look, I'm just conscious of time. It's just been amazing to talk to you. If Thanks you had to like, kind of sum up the biggest lesson or the biggest tip, so someone's listening to this, they're at the point of deciding you know, whether or not they're going to leave or not, what would you say to them? What would you want them to hear having listened to us chat? I think if you've got kids, I think that was the biggest thing, was me having the experience of my parents and living for years with two parents in a horrible situation where even if just one of them in my parents' situation, I think it was both, were irretrievably unhappy and letting that fester and grow and toxify a home, it is better to get out. But you can, there's not a pain-free way of separating, but there are kind ways of doing it. And it's about responsibility, ownership, honesty, clarity, being definitive in your decision. And it sounds like doing it together. It sounds like what you've managed to do is say, okay, our romantic relationship is over. We now have a different relationship and we don't know what that's going to look like or where it's going to lead us, but we're going to do all of this together. Yeah. And I think just other stuff, it's just practical. It's very hard to give a succinct answer on this. I think if one of you earns a lot more than the other one, can you offset that pain for them then? Can you offset that indifference? It does not gendered. I don't, it, nothing has to be put through lawyers. Just be practical and be kind. Make it fair. Are you going to make them in a situation where they've suddenly got masses less income because they have to, and you can afford to help them? Do it. It's not about ego. It's not about gender. Make it as simple as it needs to be for everybody to move through that grief, that emotion and that change and take ego out of it. Not emotion, because those need to be felt. But I think it's, um, yeah. Well, I think that's a brilliant summary. I think if people just listen to that little, last little snippet, that's kind of, that's all that, that this is about for us. And this is what we do. We try and help people, you know, come to those arrangements and work in the way that you've just been describing. So thank you, Jess. My pleasure. Absolutely fascinating. Now, just tell us, where can people find out and see you at the moment? What are you doing? All sorts, actually. I'm working up a new show. I don't, it doesn't even have a title yet, but 
I was I will be touring that from early 2024. I have a series on BBC Sounds called Sturdy Girl Club, an audio series. I have a short coming out on Sky very soon called Real Friends about an adult who's still got her imaginary friend uh, play a big imaginary ice cream in that called Mr Whippy. What else? I have a podcast called Hoovering that's all about eating and people's relationships with eating. Nice. Okay, check that out, everybody. That sounds great. Thank Thank you, Jess. It's been absolutely wonderful uh, talking to you today. And of course, you can find out more about me on Twitter. I'm at Kate underscore daily. You can also hear on Twitter new podcast episodes by subscribing for updates by visiting thedivorcepodcast.com on your favourite listening platforms. Thanks, Jess. Fabulous to talk to you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>